Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. Turn in your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, and we're going to be in verse 11 through 15 here. Titus 2 verse 11 says this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that we might, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. This evening we're back in the book of Titus and continuing on with this series here of the common faith of a peculiar people, looking at the fact that we get this, we get this title from two different places in Titus. Titus chapter 1 and verse 4, Paul says to Titus, mine own son, after the common faith. Common faith speaking to the fact that our faith in Jesus Christ is available to all men. It is common. It's available to each and every one of us, to every man, woman, and child who walks upon the face of the earth. Jesus Christ had paid the sins for the whole world and therefore offering us a common faith. And then secondly, speaking to the peculiar people, we find that in chapter 2, verse 14, where the scripture says this, God's desire for his children here who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And speaking to that peculiar, the believer is to be different from the world, a specific and a peculiar possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so in this series, we're looking to touch on some things that we all have in common because we are of the common faith and some things also in the same realm that They make us peculiar or different than the world. And that's because we belong and we are the children of God. We're in his family. So last time we looked at the change that takes place. The change, that is something that every believer has in common. If they've trusted, if you've trusted Christ as your Savior by faith, there is a change. Specifically, we looked at the redemption, the work of redemption in our life. And this evening, I'd like to speak to you about This passage here, this phrase that comes out of verse 14, zealous of good works. Zealous of good works. Now I would note, if we look at zealousness here, if we think of a good definition for that, how about doing something with great fervor, with great desire, with great energy? That would be a decent definition for the word zealous. I would note that we don't necessarily need more zealous people in this world. If you think about it, as you perhaps look around, I'm pretty sure most of us were born with a lot of zeal. You see parents trying to control their children. I know I probably was one of those as well. You can speak to my parents about that. But we come forth and we're full of desire and zeal. And especially if you want to think back to the year 2020 and all those different riotings, police cars were being burned, cities were being burned down, buildings and property was being destroyed. Talk about people that were zealous of something rather than that which is zealous of good works. But we're looking here at zealous of good works. Zealousness in itself, having a zeal, doesn't necessarily make us 
peculiar from the world. That's not necessarily a differentiating factor. If you think about a man in the Bible who is very zealous, let's think about Saul. He's actually the one who later is writing this book to us, Titus. He was a man at one point full of zeal and passion in his life. What was that zeal and passion for? That zeal was to persecute the Christians, to persecute the church. He was in charge and overseeing and perhaps took place in the killing of hundreds of believers. He had great zeal. But the world doesn't need another zealous person. Not just for zeal's sake. I would take you, let's turn to Romans chapter 10 and verse 2. And we'll look at another group of people who had zeal. They had zeal in their life, but yet there's a problem. In Romans chapter 10 and verse 2, this is once again Paul writing, and he's writing about a zealous group of people. Let's start in verse 1 of chapter 10. Paul writes this, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. In short here, Paul is speaking of a group of people who had zeal, but not according to knowledge. They had zeal in their life, but zeal in and of itself, it was falling short. Instead of relying upon the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the people of Israel had a misinformed zeal. They had a zeal that was not according to knowledge. And so there we have another example of someone who was zealous, but they weren't necessarily zealous of good works. They were zealous, but they had a misguided, misinformed zeal. I would note another type of zeal that we need to watch out for in our own lives is a self-directed zeal. A self-directed zeal, oftentimes I think this is one of the greatest perhaps greatest issues for us as children of God. After all, we have, if we're reading it, we have the Word of God. So therefore, we have knowledge of the Word of God. If we're willing to take the time and look into the Scriptures, we have knowledge. But oftentimes, I think, although we have that knowledge, we can have a self-directed zeal. What, what is that exactly? Well, instead of allowing God and the knowledge of God to direct our zeal, we decide that we're going to be zealous about something we want to be zealous about. We're going to take all of our energies or take a portion of our energies and we're going to focus it upon something that is not God-directed, but rather is self-directed. So as we look at this passage here tonight in Titus, I'm going to turn back over there, we're looking at some things that should set the believer apart from the world, some things that are different from the world. I would note that if you look at the world today, speaking back to self-directed zeal, what is it in the world today that we're seeing? We're seeing people being encouraged to have zeal that is self-directed. Do what you want to do. Pursue that which makes you happy. That is a zeal. That's an example of zeal that is self-directed. We looked at the Israelites they would have been a zeal that was not according to knowledge, so perhaps an uninformed zeal or a misinformed zeal. But like we spoke to earlier, zealousness, we don't just need another zealous person. There are plenty of them 
in the world today. So how is a believer that much different than the world? Well, we see here, he says in that passage, let's just read all of verse 14 here. Who gave himself for us, that's Jesus Christ, that he might redeem from us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now, if we could go about obtaining zeal for good works on our own, a lasting zeal for good works on our own, then what we could do is we could all sit around here tonight. We could do a time of raising your hands and tell us about a good work. Tell us about a good thing that you've done today. And perhaps we could raise some motivation and we'd go out tomorrow and have a desire and have a a short-lived push to have some zeal for some good works. But that's not how the passage works. It doesn't start with zeal. If you note the last thing in this whole list, the very last thing, we started up in verse 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And when the believer is received that grace, the believer is received by faith Jesus Christ. That's the starting point. And there's a lot of things that take place before we get down to zealous of good works because you see, zealousness of good works in the life of a believer is the product of so many other things in their lives. You see, if we walk out of here tonight with just the goal of being a zealous of good works individual, it will be short-lived. Now, there are a lot of people doing a lot of good things and they have a zeal for it. But whenever a believer comes to Christ by faith, and then there's a progression, I want to look at those things tonight. What is it that brings about a permanent, a lasting zealousness of good works that is different, that is peculiar? He, it comes right after that phrase, God's goal for the believer is to purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. He adds on there, he doesn't just say a peculiar people, he adds on and says, this peculiar people is going to be zealous of good works. So how do we have that lasting impact on our lives? That's what I'd like to look at tonight. What is the path that a believer is to be taking? Because it's so different from the world. It's so different. And so we kind of touched on this in our last studies. We looked at being changed. The believer is changed inwardly, speaking of redemption. And then the believer is changed outwardly. So I just want to look a little bit more into that. And so we're going to go back up to verse number 12. And we're going to talk a little bit about the very first word we see there. Teaching us. Teaching us. You see, the great peculiarity about the believer is this. That an individual who was once living a life that was zealous, they were once living a life of zealous servitude to the wickedness and the things of this world. Note chapter 3, he says, 3 and verse 3, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Those were all things that these believers had once served zealously. So how does the great peculiarity in the life of a believer is this, that those who were once zealous servants of sin are changed, and now they are peculiar people. Why? Because now they've been changed from their zealous servitude of sin And now they are zealous of good works in their servitude and their service to their Lord Jesus Christ. 
who gave his life for them on the cross. That is the great peculiarity. How an individual who is so wrapped up in their self-directed zeal is now all caught up and all desirous and is peculiarly standing out among the world because they have a God-directed zeal in their life. And what takes place? It begins right here in verse 12. Teaching. How does one start? Someone comes to Christ by faith. They're lost. Perhaps they're, as chapter 3 puts it, they were sometimes foolish. They were disobedient. They were deceived. They were serving diverse lusts and so forth. How does that process begin? Teaching. It begins by teaching. I'd like to take and touch back on that teaching, so I'm going to jump to another thing that's necessary. And you know, whenever we show up to school, in grade school, we walk into perhaps second grade or first grade, and you can think back to that time, and you walk in there, and you sit down, and the teacher's there, and the teacher begins teaching, but you know, we learn pretty quickly that whether we realize it or not, there needs to be something else other than teaching. There needs to be a submission, a subjection of the learner to that teacher, to that instruction. Here's a simple one. You go in, you walk into grade school, you sit down before the teacher. The teacher begins teaching mathematics. And they say, 3 plus 2 equals what? 5, right, there you go. 3 plus 2 equals 5. And you're being taught that. But there's submission that must take place. You must subject yourself to the teacher's instruction. You're subjecting yourself to the laws of mathematics and science. And so there's subjection that must take place in the life of the believer in order that this teaching is effective. You know, I think about the peculiarity of someone who is willing to be subject to something or someone else other than their own will. You know, if you look in the world today, you look at perhaps public media, you look at Facebook, you look at the billboards, look at what is projected, and you don't just see on a billboard as you're driving down the road, submit yourselves therefore one to another. Unless it's someone who's posted a biblical billboard on the scriptures up on the highway perhaps. But you don't find... A billboard that says, or a TV commercial that says, submit your will, submit your desires to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you live in the same world I live in, you don't see those things. Those things aren't taught. It is defiance against God. It, what is taught is, do what pleases you. Take part in that self-directed zeal. There's no need to submit. In marriage, there's no submission that needs to be had. In the workplace, you, perhaps you submit so you get your paycheck. But how about in all other areas of life? Submission is not something that this world shows much of at all. People are all about their own direction, their own desires. When they're instructed to do something, it's, well, that's not what I want to do. Well, that's not where I want to go. Well, I don't care what you think. That's not, that's not what I think. Subjection or submitting is a peculiar thing in the life of a believer. And I want to take some time to first look at what the Bible has about, says about being subject. Let's turn over to James chapter 4. 
James chapter 4, and as we look at the path or the needs of being someone, of being a believer who is zealous of good works, peculiarly zealous, I have this written down, submission is necessary. Submission is necessary. You see, before submission, there was people walking after their own lusts, liars hating one another. But now after Jesus Christ, submission is necessary. And so James 4 and verse 5 says this, Do ye think that the Scripture saith in vain, The Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he said, God resisteth the proud. We're going to find some battling words here, some words of war. That's the first one there, resisteth. God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. Here's your second word. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. And here's the third word regarding battle. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. These are some side notes here, perhaps, about this passage, but all the, there are three different words here, all pertaining to battle. God resisteth the proud. That means he goes to war. He goes to battle. The other one is submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Submit, that speaks of, it's a military term, speaking to ordering yourself below an authority, specifically a military authority. And then the third word here we see, resist the devil, speaks of entrenching or setting yourself in place for the defense of something. But I want to take a moment here and subject yourselves, therefore, to God. What a peculiarity it is whenever an individual who was once of the world, once a child of the world before they come to Christ, now they come to Christ by faith. What a peculiar thing as they're as their friends, as their relatives, as their co-workers look at them now, and they see this individual subjecting themselves to God. What a peculiarity. What a difference that is. Or even for someone who's been saved for some time, and your co-workers perhaps, why are you doing this? Why won't you do this? Why won't you say this? Why won't you take part in this? They're looking and they're watching an individual who is subjecting themselves, submitting themselves, therefore, to God. What a peculiar thing. Submission is necessary. Not only are they submitting to God, they're resisting the devil. It's a great peculiarity. Something that sets the believer apart from the world. Because, you see, if, if this person was of the world, they would not be submitting themselves to God. They'd be submitting themselves to whatever thing they would desire. Submission is necessary. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 28, we would see Christ's submission to the Father. In James 4, and verse 7, where we're at today, we see submission of man to God. Colossians 3, 18 through 20 speaks of submission within the home. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. All three of them need to be in subjection, submission one to another in a sense there. We have in Ephesians 5.24, the church is to be subject to the head, which is Christ. We have in Titus 3.1, back to our text there, man being subject to government and authorities. In 1 Peter 2.18, we have servants being subject to their masters. And in 1 Peter 5.5, 5, we have 
subject one to another. Subject one to another. Subjection is necessary. Submission is necessary in the life of the believer. And the reason is because we're going to have teachers that God has placed in our lives, biblical teachers, things that God has put in place to help us become that peculiar person zealous of good works. Because God's desire is not to leave us where we were at whenever we came to know Him as our Savior. In verse 11 of Titus chapter 2, it says, talks about salvation there. And the first thing it says, the very next thing on the list is teaching. And you know what? Teaching never stops. We need to be continuously being taught, continuously allowing the Word of God. Continuous, we're going to look at these teachers here. But there's some several things mentioned in the passage, passage here. What do we need to be taught? I mean, what do we need to be taught? Perhaps someone has uh, something unique here, but I'm, I'm pretty sure whenever all of us have come to Christ, we all need taught something. We all need to learn something. At the very minimum, and to start with, we need to learn to submit our flesh, to submit that old man to the Lord Jesus Christ. Teaching us that denying ungodliness, thus, we righteously and godly in this present world. I like that phrase there, in this present world. Because oftentimes we can look around, we can look at this world around us, and we can think how difficult it is to live in such a time as this. How difficult it is to be peculiar in the times we live in. How difficult it is to be a believer in 2022. Well, Paul states this, he says, we need to be taught that we can live godly in this present world. And you know, the power of God is great enough no matter what time period, no matter what time frame, no matter what year we live in as a believer, whether it's 50 A.D. or 2022, God gives us the ability. He gives us the tools we need. He gives us His Word. He gives us so many things. We're going to look at these teachers' very next thing here. He gives us all that we need to live godly in this present world. What a wonderful truth. And so I want to take some time here and look at these teachers. Look at these teachers but I also want us to remember that if we're not willing to be subject, if we're not willing to subject ourselves, if we're not willing to be submissive, then these teachers are going to have no effect. If you think about it, what would happen in grade school if your teacher taught you that 3 plus 2 equals 5? Then they taught you your times tables, then they taught you your division and so forth. And what would happen if come test day, you sit down, you have 20 questions on your test, 3 plus 2. And that student sits there and he says, well, that equals 3. And then he looks there and says, 2 times 5, well, that equals 11. And he looks there and says, 0 plus 1, well, that equals 5. What's going to happen at the end of that test? He's going to get a big red 0. Why? Because he was not submissive to the teaching that was in his life. He was not submissive to the teacher. And so we can talk about the teachers, we can talk about the teaching, 
We can talk about all this that God has given us here in the next few minutes. But if we're not willing to submit to these teachers that God has given us, to these tools that God has given us to know how we can be changed, to be a peculiar individual, to be different from the world, to be zealous of good works, if we're not willing to submit, then you'll never be a peculiar person. So you can write this down if you like. I wrote it down. You will never be peculiar until you are teachable. You will never be peculiar until you're teachable. Just being a teachable person is that is different. I'm not going to change. That's not how a believer ought to live his life. We have teachers that God has given us that we can live a life that is peculiar. Let's look at the first one here. If you would, turn over to 2 Timothy. It's a page over here in my Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and 17. We'll look at the first teacher that God gives us here. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16 says this, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. I'm sure you figured it out by now. What is the first teacher that God gives us? His word, the word of God. He says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's given to us. The word of God that you have in your lap, in your hands today, is a teacher that God has given you. So how does a believer who's just come to know Christ, or perhaps he's known Christ for some time, but yet he's not allowed God to teach him, so he's not quite yet peculiar. Uh, he's not being changed outwardly. He's not being conformed to the, to the image of Jesus Christ. What is one of the ways that the believer can begin that process, begin being taught? Well, it's through the Word of God. It says, profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. If you look there in verse 16, that's not a very comfortable verse. I mean, unless you're willing to get reproof, unless you're willing to be corrected, instructed in righteousness. But God says it's profitable. But that's why submission is so important. Because if I was not willing to be submissive, if you're not willing to be submissive, then you're not going to want reproof. You're not going to want correction. You're not going to want instruction. Back to that child there who's in that class. If he's not willing to be submissive to the teacher, to not just to the teacher, but to the laws of math and science and physics, if he's not willing to submit to those things, it's not going to be a pleasant journey. So the first tool that we have is the Scriptures. It's the Word of God. It's that first teaching tool that God gives us. You will never be peculiar until you are willing to be teachable and taught by the Word of God. Secondly here, we're going to turn over to John chapter 14 and 26. Second thing we have is the Holy Spirit. We see that here in John 14, 26. These things have I spoken unto you, being yet present with you, verse 26, but the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he will do what? He will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance 
whatsoever I have said unto you. Another passage, Romans 8.14, speaks further of this. Of the teaching work, of the guiding work of the Holy Spirit. Romans 8, verse 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Look at that. You know, if you're going to be taught by the Word, if you're going to be taught by the Holy Spirit, you're going to be, need to be willing to be led. Willing to not be self-directed, but God-directed. Willing to submit, there's our word again, willing to be subject to the desires, willing to be subject to the will of God. And allow His Holy Spirit to lead and to guide and to direct. You see, God has given us all these tools, all these teachers, the Word of God. He's given us His Holy Spirit. Why? To direct us, to guide us, to teach us is the word there. And that's an interesting word. Back in Titus, you'll see that passage there. We're looking at that word, teaching us. Titus chapter 2.12 says, teaching us. You know that word, teaching it's interesting. It doesn't speak about teaching adults. The root of that word is speaking of children. You would find that same root word speaking back in Luke chapter 2. I believe it is. You have Jesus Christ. You remember Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem and was teaching the Pharisees. They called him a child. That's the same root word you find here in this word, teaching. So whenever we're looking at teaching... We're not looking at teaching adults. We're not looking at instructing adults. Rather, speaking to teaching children. It's interesting. First John, we read all the time about you little children. Little children. Little children. And we know that whenever we come to Christ by faith, we are a child. The Bible calls us babes in the Lord. And there needs to be teaching that takes place in order for that believer to mature. I just thought it was interesting here that whenever it says teaching us, that we are taught, we have that need of being taught, just as a little child needs to be taught. There are many things that adults need taught, but you know, in order to become adults, there was a long process of teaching that took place in the life of that child. Those of you who are teaching your children, those children need their parents to teach them many things. Sometimes it's basic the basic needs of life. There's a great need for teaching in the life of a child. And I believe that this word here, teaching us, as we look at ourselves, we have a great need of being taught. You know, you can try to do it on your own. You can try to teach yourself. That leads to a lot of issues. God's given us tools. God's given us teachers. There's a reason that young people don't just go to class and the six-year-old teaches the six-year-olds. What would that be like? Kids would be like, that'd be great. But in all essence and honesty, they would learn very little. There's a need for teachers in our lives. There's a need for us to be subject, to submit to those teachers in our lives. So we have the Word of God. Let's turn over to Colossians 1 and verse 28. We have... Another teacher. And I'll back it up a verse again to verse number 27. Colossians 
127. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory, which we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. I would present to you also that it is another teacher that we have that God has given us, is preachers, and specifically we'll look here at pastors. If you will, turn back over to First. Another teacher that God has given us is our pastor. First Timothy 3.2 says this, A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, and then note the last three words there, apt to teach. What's he teaching? What's the pastor need to teach? Well, according to Colossians, the goal is that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. God has given us yet another teacher. Not only his word, not only the Holy Spirit, But he's given churches across the land, he's given the people of God, he set in place the pastor to teach, another teaching tool. And interestingly enough, we have have the pastor who's preaching the word of God, and once again, we need to be willing to submit to the word of God that is being presented, to submit our lives to that preaching. How about another one? Let's turn back over to Colossians. I know we're jumping around a lot. But we have a lot of teachers to learn about. Colossians three fourteen and 16 says this, And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of, peace, of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. I want to note there that we started with that first verse, verse 14. Above above all things put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness, and let peace of God rule in your hearts. And as we do that, that's the starting point, but we learn that there are other teachers in our life, other believers specifically. I'm going to have us turn back over to Titus here. And we see this again. Listing those good works, listing some of these good works that are necessary in the lives of believers. We find one of these good works that speaks to this teacher in our lives, other believers. And in Titus 2.4 we see this very directly here. That they, that's the aged women, that they may teach the young women, to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. He says, likewise also, or young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. But speaking here, verse 4, that they may teach the young women to be sober. You know, another teacher that God has provided us is godly believers. Other godly believers in our lives who have an influence in us, who are able to teach us. I think of a good scriptural example, not just out of Titus here, but Aquila and Priscilla, 
who were sound in the faith. They were sound in the word of God and they were able to be a help. They were able to teach Apollos the more excellent way. They were able to be a teacher to Apollos. Again, once again, Apollos, a great man, a great preacher, a great expounder of the scriptures. What did he have to do in order for that teaching to be effective in his life? He had to submit. A great mighty man in the word of God, a great preacher, a great speaker, a great eloquent man, who no doubt God used in a mighty way to bring so many to Christ. Yet he had to be willing to submit himself and hear the words, the more excellent way, from two tent makers. Two teachers that God had brought along in his life. And Apollos, well, apparently he was a wise man for he listened and submitted and subjected himself to the words of the word of God that Apollos or that Aquila and Priscilla were presenting to him. We have these many teachers in our lives. God has given them to us. And once we're taught, once we allow ourselves to be taught, then the outcome is someone who is able to be zealous of good works. You see, because that is the peculiarity. The peculiarity is that someone who was once disobedient, deceived, serving lusts, iniquity, serving sins in their lives, that they would be willing to submit themselves to the teachings of God, to the teachers God has placed in their lives. And if you look around, someone without the Lord Jesus Christ, someone who's not come to Christ by faith, those who are not of the household of faith, not a part of the family of God, you would never expect them to do something like that. Why? Because the believer is to be peculiar. He's to be different. So I have this question for us as we, as we conclude here. What would change in your life today if you chose to submit to the biblical teaching in your life? Now that could be biblical teaching, truths that we find from the Word of God. That could be something that the Holy Spirit speaks to us about, teaching us all things, leading us often does that through the Word of God as well. Teaching from our pastor, from the sound preaching of the Word of God, or perhaps it's teaching from other believers. Maybe it's teaching that's coming from a parent. Maybe it's teaching that's coming from uh, a co-worker or someone here in the church. I would note if it's doctrine that adorns if it's something that adorns the doctrine of God our Savior in all things, as we see in Titus 2 and verse 10, if it is good, sound biblical teaching from any of these places, we need to submit. Be willing to be subject unto that teaching and to change. So what is it in your life? Is there something in your life that would change if you were only willing to subject yourself to submit that part of that one area in your life to the teaching from all these teachers that we have. What would that one thing be? Let's pray as we conclude. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. 
And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.